This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 150, where we're looking at Jessica Jones Season 2, episode 12, a.k.a. Pray For My Patsy. What's up, fellow Defenders? It is I, Chris, and this is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 150. But if you only read Roman numerals, we're talking the big CL, (laughs) the big Chris Loves Defenders TV Podcast. And today we are talking about Jessica Jones, season two, episode 12, a.k.a. Pray for my Patsy. But before we get that, I have two fantastical... I mean, it's the only way I can describe you guys. Fantastical Defenders. But they have been my co-hosts for 150 episodes. They are my brothers from another mother. They are... Well, I, I've got a unicorn horn. I'm that fantastical. I'm Derek. And I've got a scorpion tail. I'm John. <laughs> there you go. We are really all out and we're in high gears. First of all, fellow Defenders, thank you so much for being with us for 150 episodes. Mm-hmm. It has been our pleasure to cover all of the Netflix Defenders universe for everything, basically Netflix and Marvel. We've covered some other things along the way, including Damnation crossover event, which is currently ongoing. But you've also got some of the fantastic Marvel movies in the MCU we've covered throughout. And we are leading to Infinity War in just a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really messed with us, hasn't it? We've got, uh, got Doctor Strange Damnation, which... Uh the episode should be coming out, I think, tomorrow uh, for you if you're listening to this on uh, Friday the 13th of April. Uh, we should have Damnation out on uh, out on Saturday, which means that's the 151st episode, we think. So hopefully this is our 150th episode. Uh, but as Chris said, thank you so much for staying with us. How pointless would this podcast be if we didn't have our fellow defenders giving us feedback, talking to us all the way through the last three and a bit years? doing these podcasts so thank you so much for listening to us yes thank you so much fellow defenders for listening and of course continue with that listening over subscribe rate us and leave a review share the love share the podcast head on over to defenderstvpodcast.com and go to our subscribe area where you can have a boozy or sobery podcast catcher of your choice to listen to dulcet tones that are getting a little gruffer a little older as we are 150 episodes in i absolutely thought that was your outro for this podcast john because that's exactly <laughs> how you finished our podcast every single time I... thank you so much for listening exactly <laughs> but we're only at the start yes we are and very quickly guys without our fellow defenders we would have no podcast as derek said so we want you to always get in contact with us so make sure you pop on over to defenders tv podcast.com and you can leave us email, you can leave us voicemail, you can go to our social channels and jump in and give us feedback directly there. But gentlemen, speaking of feedback, I think we've got some great ones right now uh, that have come in recently, so let's jump on to it. Yeah, our first piece of feedback comes in from at Davis underscore 404 over on Twitter, who is clearing up one of my theories, I think, um, from earlier on in the season, about episode 10. He says, about Jessica's self-defense when she killed that guard in his home. In the US, generally, if you kill someone during the commission of a felony, like breaking and entering, for instance, you are charged with murder and no excuses for self-defense are allowed. I could be wrong in some places, but generally our laws are more English than those of the English regarding home and castle. So... When we spoke about Jessica killing the guard in his home, we were saying that 
potentially she had some justifiable killings in the past because she broke into his home and he attacked her in the home and accidentally she killed them. So I was saying the possible defense there could be that um, it wasn't intentional, that it was a complete mistake and a complete error, but apparently she would be charged with murder instantly. Yeah, well, it's kind of like a layer cake of um, of felonies that Jessica's doing. Yeah, because um, yeah, she's already committing a crime. So I suppose without any witnesses, it would be difficult. But uh, whether it's causality or whether, it, not even causality, but the sequence of, of it happening, mm. that she's broken and entered, crime one, while she's there, she has effectively killed him. Um, and it would only be her word to say it was in self-defense, but then it's, why is she there in the first place? But that's interesting that Davis is saying there's no excuses for self-defense allowed. Like, I, I presume yeah. you would still be allowed to explain the situation, whether you call it self-defense or not, I suppose. But it is interesting. I, I, I guess you would have, have the ability to tell the story through your lawyer. That's kind of what court's all about, I suppose. Um, but interesting that you would be charged with murder straight off. It's anyway. legal Jack and Ori. Yes, very impressive. We have some also email feedback from Floby about episode 10. Hail Defenders. Hail Hydra. Hail Floby. <laughs> Hail Hydra. But uh, that's a different podcast, Eric. Just I... leave, we'll leave that one for now. One I've never done, unfortunately. I will. Uh, there's always the future. I, we've 150 in now. The next 150, Hydra will be in there somewhere. Uh-huh. Floby went on to say, just finished episode 10, and wow, Jerry's storyline is soul-crushing. This mm. powerful woman is seeing her whole life crumble around her. The worst kind of people are preying on her desperation. I'm desperately hoping that somehow she makes it through. Jerry is just too good of a character to let go, and Carrie Ann Moss is too good of an actor as well. Trish seems like she's still willing to do anything to get more of the inhaler drug. I'm really hoping there's... Another motivation at play, but doesn't seem like it. She just really seems like she's an addict chasing the dragon. This season has been intense. The themes of addiction and betrayal have been running through the whole season without beating you over the head with it like an after-school special. Can't wait for the final three episodes. Thanks, Floby. Yes, Floby, thank you so much for your feedback and the Jerry storyline. We've talked about it and we'll probably get into some of the, the resulting feedback of that Jerry storyline quite soon. I have to say it's fascinating that we got this email in just as we're about to record our episode 12 podcast because in this episode, the two big things that Floby's calling out here about Jerry, will she be able to make it through? Well, Jerry does a pretty good job in this episode. And obviously, Trish, is there something other than the addiction to the drug that's that's pushing her? Well, yeah, there is. It's the addiction of trying to become like Jessica, which we're going to talk about in this episode as well. So perfect timing from Floby there. Yeah, no, really good from Floby. Um, this has panned out so, so well um, from, from those sort of soul-crushing things for Jerry, as you say, for episode 10, mm-hmm. and also seeing Trish really kind of just fly off the wagon here, uh, for sure. Uh, on to episode 11 over on Facebook, we have two bits of feedback. Tina Brown says, amazing, hands down, best episode. David Tennant is back and makes me miss Kilgrave so much I could cry. What a performance by Kristen Ritter, breathtaking and heart-tugging and unspeakably vulnerable with core strength that brought tears to my eyes. Uh, definitely, Tina. Um, like, Kilgrave was such a presence um, in, in that episode. And I think it was nice that the way it was done just really meant that it was 
almost her version of Kilgrave mm-hmm. as well. Um, really superb uh, use of that character. And of course, getting David Tennant back is always pretty damn special. Robert Phillips says, so episode 11, a.k.a. the one with ghostly exposition, uses the horror of Kilgrave and the consequences of bad decisions, but also the power to change and make good ones. Malcolm and Jessica need a week or so to realize they're actually platonically meant for each other and come back together to track down Alyssa and fix Trish. It's building to a tremendous climax. Can't wait to watch episode 12. Indeed, Robert, um, I had the similar thought as well that I really wanted to get into episode 12. And then, like a balloon losing a a bit, um, I wondered what had happened. But nonetheless, I completely agree with you. I hope Malcolm and Jessica make it back together again and really realise that they're supposed to work with one another um, in Alias Investigations and, of course, will be super-duper um, hall monitors and flatmates in, in the apartment <laughs> block. Yes, that would be nice. Thank you so much for that feedback. Really good to hear all of your thoughts. We have only got one episode left to record about Jessica Jones, so make sure if you have any other thoughts about the episodes, make sure you get them into us as soon as possible so that we can get them into our final podcast about Jessica Jones, which will be coming out on well, next Tuesday. Yes, and it's going to be a bit of an epic one because I think we all have thoughts. Well, I hope we have thoughts because what else would this podcast be then? Uh-huh. Just silence, dead air. Yes. But uh, no, uh, we want to hear your thoughts about it because uh, I, for one, I think it's going to be a riveting discussion. But from one riveting discussion in the future to one right now. Gentlemen, I think it's time we get on and discuss this episode. So, Derek, do you want to give us the episode details? Yep, this episode was written by Rayleigh Tucker and Hilly Hicks Jr., who we spoke about previously on the podcast. Uh, Hilly Hicks Jr. did uh, AKA I Want Your Cray Cray, and Rayleigh wrote AKA FaceTime. So, both done other episodes this season. Uh, the episode was directed by Liz Freelander, who directed an episode of Marvel's The Gifted as well. So, um, A gifted TV show. Yes, yes. Very gifted yes. director, too. Really good. Yes. That's a better pun. Well done. That's a better pun. <laughs> pun worthy, indeed. 150 episodes of this podcast, plus 120 of Gotham. Uh, we've we've got a lot of puns underneath it all. Oh, yeah. I'm sure our listeners are either loving or hating the puns. <laughs> I hope they're loving them because yeah, me uh, too. we've got no other kind of humour. Uh, <laughs> John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Jessica and Dorothy Walker wait anxiously for updates on Trisha's condition as she lies unconscious from her treatment at the hands of the deceased Carl Malice. But they are not the only ones with Trish on their mind. Alyssa Jones, incandescent with rage at what Trish has done to her life, goes looking for her, only to find her being protected by her daughter. Despite this, Alyssa still attempts to kill Trish, only to be foiled by Detectives Costa and Sunday. But in their attempt to arrest Alyssa, Sunday is laid to rest, as Alyssa kills her as she escapes. Elsewhere, Jerry hatches a plan fabricating a story to Inez Green that Ryback has used her and has secretly conned multiple women like Inez into making him rich. Giving Green a gun, Hogarth watches Inez confront Ryback and shoot him. Jerry calls the police to seal her revenge. In the meantime, Jessica secretly organises to meet with Alyssa at Trisha's apartment, despite being warned off interfering by Detective Costa. At Trisha's apartment, Jessica considers killing Alyssa, but is unable to do it, and instead the tables turn as Alyssa knocks out and kidnaps Jessica. 
in a private medical facility in downtown New York, Trich Patsy Walker begins to violently contort and convulse in her hospital bed. Mm. What could it mean? Is this the end of Patsy? Should we be praying for Patsy all along? <laughs> She's turning into Mr. Mistopheles. Uh, to the tunes of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats, she will turn into Hellcat. <laughs> nice. John, thank you so much for that synopsis, as always. Oh, I thank you, sir. 150 of them, and you think you'd be getting better, but you can't be perfection. <laughs> Gentlemen, I think it's time we get into our top five case notes. Case note number one, taking control of the narrative. We've discussed Dorothy Walker mm-hmm. quite a lot and on our seasons of Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. We have some, she's good, she's bad, we kind of see where she come from. Oh my God, she's so annoying. <laughs> This annoyed me. Right, yeah. She flip-flops, she takes control of the narrative, and the the interaction with Jessica at the beginning, I was like, oh, that's, this is it, the, the family bonding time. It's, and I was just so happy. Compared towards the end, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, there's Dorothy. Yep. There she is. Uh, just back to that cookie-cutter of a character. Yay. Yeah, I, too, really loved her at the beginning, where it almost felt as though she was bonding with Jessica, because obviously, you know, Jessica's sister, her daughter, is lying unconscious. They're both concerned about her, um, and I, I really loved that interaction. You you were kind of going, please, team Dorothy, Jessica, just, just kind of make it up just for for Patsy and I just think as well you saw another great side to Dorothy Walker one that you know isn't just sort of walking around thinking of the media her her daughter's career and and so on I I thought that was really really nice Mm -hmm. and then unfortunately bad habits take control of her and she has to kind of move into really sort of working with the media she's still trying to keep Patsy's career alive Uh, and yeah I mean it kind of descended back into that normal headbutting that occurs between Dorothy uh, and Jessica which is fine absolutely uh, but I did like that moment of them coming together because I thought it just added a new layer to their their dynamic mm-hmm. and for it just to default back was I, I wish it hadn't but I can also see why it did and I mean it did bring some some great lines uh, between Jessica and Dorothy as well and in some ways, I do quite secretly like the the exchanges that these two have because oh, yeah. they are so acid. Yeah. They really are. I totally, I totally agree with you. Um, I think the one thing from Dorothy that's never unexpected is that she's going to be Dorothy. At the end of the day, she's spent 50-odd years developing who she is, and she is going to let everybody down around her because she wants to make sure, as we said, she wants to make sure she takes control of the narrative. Being goaded in by the by the reporter into actually not ignoring it and saying no comment. How about do this, Dorothy? Why don't you give us the story that you want to tell about this? Well, that's like catnip to Dorothy. Of course she's going to take the opportunity to stand in front of a camera and tell all of Trisha's fans and Patsy's fans that isn't she wonderful? This was somebody else's uh, problem. It wasn't It wasn't something to do with her daughter taking drugs this time. It was a doctor that did it all to her. Um, it's absolutely what you would see someone like the manager, Dorothy, doing, the PR agent doing. So I'm not I'm not surprised it happened, but it was lovely to see those moments early on when she was almost reaching out to Jessica and saying, let's put it all behind us. But it's really because of this big, stupid 
error that she makes by talking to the press. That's why it all falls apart. But you would absolutely expect Dorothy to do that, right? Yeah, and I think that was my slight problem with it. And I, I don't, I didn't mean cookie cutter as in a the derogatory term when it comes to screenwriting and character writing. I meant in that that she was the same mold. She didn't break the mold, and I think that's the problem I had. Mm-hmm. That Dorothy character hasn't evolved in line with the same characters we've had for these two seasons. In that Malcolm's changed, Jessica's changed, mm-hmm. Patsy's changed, everyone's evolving. Dorothy's still the same woman, the sycophant mother, the, the controlling mother that she has been since episode two or three when we're introduced to her yeah. in season one. And I, I thought this was the, oh, great, this is what they're going to do. They're going to evolve her into actually caring about Jessica. Now, the acid back and forth. I that will never go. I think what the the okay, and this is me telling like fantastic writers how to do their job. I'm not, but if I had control, I would have basically they actually do end up loving each other. But you know what? They still throw barbs at each other. They still fight. You could have evolved Dorothy's character. Mm. You could have her had her turn around and go. You know what? No, this isn't about me, because this is what it boils down to. And we got we actually found out in this episode. She says to Patsy, you're everything I wanted to be. Yeah. And I will keep making. So this is what she, she's putting and making Patsy into her, her idolized self. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the things I was going to kind of ask about this, because it is that, as you say, you know, there's been a lot of changes in this season two in terms of Jessica being more introspective, uh, Malcolm trying to build his way out of, of the hole. Um, but is Trisha's kind of maybe like mother, like daughter kind of thing where it is that, you know, there's an awful lot of um, tension between Dorothy and Jessica. And of course, that has evolved in with with Trish as well. Like there's an element of jealousy that we see here from Trish uh, surrounding the idea of being superheroes, powerful uh, and having that control. Um, and, and to some extent, you know, Dorothy has always wanted that as well. But it almost felt as though that not only through Trish, but also through that Jessica would disrupt Trish's career path and so on. And that's where Dorothy's kind of, um, I suppose, suspicion or uh, resentment towards Jessica comes from. Maybe even that Jessica and Trish just have a better relationship. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, she really doesn't get on with Jessica anymore. And we're seeing that with Trish. She's starting to resent Jessica for having the powers and not wanting to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of a nice little parallel, I think, going on here between these two people. Um, it's not off the road you licked it. Um, so maybe, you know, there's a little bit of Dorothy and Trish mm-hmm. um, here. And certainly that is being projected onto Jessica in, in this moment, uh, which I thought was quite nice. It is really interesting that you talk about it like that. I know that... It was revealed in the first season, really, that the reason why Jessica was adopted by them as a family was to try and further Patsy's career to explain that the Walkers were would take in an orphan like Jessica. I think kind of expected that this would be the the orphan Annie situation, that it would be, you know, they'd bring in this this person who would be so thankful to them as a family and 
from that point onwards, we see that Jessica and Dorothy have been butting heads over her treatment of Trish. And Jessica's always had Trish's side in this, no matter how much Dorothy wants to mold and meld Trish into this superstar that she thought she was going to be. Jessica realizes that what she's doing is actually abusing her daughter. So Jessica steps in the way of the two of them. So for me, and I, I do understand, again, Chris, these are all of our individual opinions about the show, but I do understand that you wanted growth in the character of Dorothy. But I kind of feel that she is one of the central, almost villains, if you want to call them that, in the show for Jessica, for our hero. She's someone that's done so much to Jessica over her life. I'm not saying comic book villain here. I'm talking about real villains, people that you don't get on with. You have these arguments with possibly a a parent and you push them away and you close them down. If it turns out that Dorothy actually was doing the right thing over the time, well, that kind of takes away from from Jessica's motivation almost as a character. It was it was nice to see them saying for the sake of my daughter, your sister, let's bury the hatchet and let's close it down. But Jessica has been right about her the whole time. That's what this episode is really saying. It's that Dorothy is not a person to be trusted because she makes stupid decisions. And that's why Jessica got away from the first place. That's why Trish got away from her in the first place. She's now put her daughter's life in danger, even though Jessica told her not to. So while I kind of understand it would be nice for everybody to get their moment and everybody become wonderful and great by the end of the season, Dorothy's character in the show is always worth watching. And I'm kind of happy that they've kept that relationship the way it is so that we can have a bit more of that in the future. I see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. But even Kilgrave grew. Villains should be allowed to grow too. Because you could have had backpedaling moments. But again, it's the point where you could see Dorothy's character grow. She learns to love Jessica. Something happens. It all comes crashing back down. But you then get that element of growth. Then you have something new to for them to argue and hate each other. And, mm. and I think they just didn't give this enough time to breathe. Yeah, they did. Maybe it. that's it. Actually, that's it. I think... I like, I like, they, they gave us a glimpse of a potential future of, of something. If you had given this 20 minutes or a whole episode to breathe, then you, when Dorothy falls back, mm-hmm. it's actually a bigger, it's a bigger thing than the 20 minutes where we have that scene to where Dorothy takes control of the narrative. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's potentially what I'm trying to say. Then better. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just don't know whether they would have been able to spend that amount of time in the room with uh, with Jessica and Dorothy, so they kind of had to fit in a moment at least where they yeah. put it behind them and go, right, let's take care of the most important thing here, which is the girl that's dying uh, on the bed over here. We need to take care of her because that's what both of us want, regardless of our opinions of each other. And in Dorothy's mind, what she's done here is absolutely the right thing. She will never believe that telling the press that this was not a drug overdose that her daughter went through. This is not a drug addiction like they've been reporting on for Patsy for the last 10 years. That will never be a different decision for Dorothy. She would always make that decision. But it's in it's in the hands of the media again. We talked about the media's commentary in the past in the show with the paparazzi photographs, with the, um, with the rag mags. Um, this is definitely something they want to talk about. And again, this was that Dorothy was goaded into standing in front of her camera and making up a story that she wanted to get out to protect her daughter. So um, so we kind of have, have to put a little bit of fault on the media as well, not just not just on Dorothy. But that is the actress who was in Luke Cage, wasn't she? She was doing the stories from Harlem. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes, it's a returning reporter. Mm-hmm. 
I, I liked it. I, that, that's what I, I noticed her, and it was the same smug smile from Luke Cage. And I went, oh, I know her. And I had to look it up, but yes, it is the same character. That's yeah, quite cool. So we have a new returning background character potentially to keep an eye on. But let's go on to case note number two. Uh, we've talked about Trish uh, a lot, and, and John, I want to zone in on that, what you were talking about. But let's just say, before that, let's focus on the scene where we get Trish berating Jessica mm. and how Trish is so pissed off about the loss of her chance for powers. What did you guys think? This was this was great to have uh, on screen. I think it's yeah. it's a really good moment for Trish to have that attack on Jessica, to really flesh it out because there's been talk in the past in episodes about her being jealous of Jessica, but actually framing it that not only is she jealous, but she had an opportunity here to become like Jessica to be better than Jessica, to have the powers of Jessica and use them to protect people, and Jessica rips that away from her. That makes it kind of interesting. That's what she feels has happened, because she doesn't know what happened. She was knocked out at the time, so the doctor that was working on her is dead, is what Jessica tells her, and he didn't finish the procedure, so therefore, it's all Jessica's fault that she doesn't get what she wants. Yeah, but and she also puts it back onto Jessica as well, saying that she doesn't deserve the powers that she has because she feels that she's not doing as good as she can Mm -hmm. uh, because she ultimately is the reluctant superhero here. You know, she doesn't want to use them. She knows the power is too much sometimes for her to handle uh, and what can happen. And I I think here this, this kind of... You know, Red Sea parting between these really close characters is is fantastic. That gulf that just opens up between these two in that moment where Trish is lying ill in bed uh, and ultimately uh, because of that, you know, it's difficult for Jessica to really come back at her uh, Mm -hmm. harshly because she's she's recovering. Um, You know, it's kind of in that moment of weakness in in terms of the argument that she is making that there's a huge amount of power or or very little comeback that Jessica can do on it. Um, But ultimately, you know, there is this kind of little bit of a truce that comes in here where Trish really says, you know, start to use your powers. I would have done better than you. Uh, And to go and take out Alyssa uh, because ultimately she's a mass murderer. Yeah. Interesting that she thinks that she would kill Alyssa, if she had the opportunity and the powers. I like Jessica's comeback on it. How many times have you let Dorothy back into your life over the years? You would in no way be able to kill your own mother. Why do you expect me to be able to do it? You know, I love that kind of sparring between them. And kind of comes back to the other point, Chris. You know, this is what Jessica's saying. I'm not, I'm, I'm not giving Dorothy any further chances because she feels that Trish has been wrong to give her so many chances over the years. So kind of interesting that they have that back and forth as well. Yeah, the reason I, I zoned in on this uh, the scene was that point around Jessica doesn't deserve her powers. Mm, if yeah. Trish had powers, she would be a better person. She would be a better hero. Yeah. And it's like, you know, again, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> like, I was expecting some variation or paraphrase on that line. It didn't come, so it was... It was nice. We got a, a variation, but it was nowhere near like a direct paraphrase. But I loved that. I loved that that point where she's like, with, basically goes, with my powers, have you seen the amount I have to drink? Mm-hmm. That's why my biggest expense is alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, this is a this is the part I wanted where I don't know. It it's hard to 
you want to see Jessica becoming Jewel. We got a glimpse in season one where she had the Jewel costume that mm. Trish made for her, remember? Yep. It's like becoming that gleaming beacon of hope in the Defenders. But that's not Jessica. Exactly. That's not yeah. the Jessica Jones we know. That's not the character we love. And Trish slightly has this warped view on being a hero. Yes. Like we've seen, like the only time she's been a hero or she's tried to be a hero is usually when she's whacked out on something. Mm-hmm. And in the, well, this season in particular. And I just think it's just, I, didn't, I was going to say pot kettle black, but that's not really the right analogy. It's very much just a, a lack of understanding. Yeah, she's coming from the wrong frame of mind, effectively. She's saying to Jessica, you don't deserve these powers. If I was given these powers, I'd be better than you. Jessica doesn't deserve the powers because she never wanted powers. She was in an accident and somebody brought her back to life. And by bringing her back to life, she got powers. She didn't walk down the street and go, today I'm going to be a superhero. This was thrust upon her. And every time somebody sees her now, as we saw earlier on in the season, every time somebody meets her for the first time, they have an instant impression of who Jessica is. And that's supposed to be that she's a hero and saves people. But that's not Jessica. She wasn't born that way. She wasn't. She didn't live her life looking to save people all of the time. And the way she's been treated because of these powers over the years have made her into the person she is now. Whereas Trish thinks, well, if I had the powers, if I had been given them, I'd be an amazing person. Well, maybe she wouldn't have been if she was in a car accident at 15 that killed all of her family. Well, and the way Trish is going, to be honest, I it wouldn't surprise me if she turns out to be a supervillain. Well, because, yeah. I mean, the death stirs that she has towards Jessica. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's looking really malevolent in that uh, hospital bed. Uh, whatever that IGH drug has in it, it's really turning her into a massive sourpuss. And it really... Um, <laughs> great to see this degradation i know you were saying earlier in the series that you didn't necessarily want to see it but i mean it's fantastic what trish has become in a way you would expect her to be a little bitter old lady sort of giving out to all the young kids running around her (laughs) on the pavement she's just really become almost slightly selfish she's talking about it pure selfishly and and i i agree with you chris as well she just absolutely does not understand the meaning of these superheroed people um at least within the marvel netflix you know luke cage was experimented on it was an accident with daredevil it was a a plane crash that led danny Rand to kun lun and Captain America, maybe one way has gone willingly into that, in the service of his country, in terms of that thing. This is almost like, is it Trisha's personal aggrandizement? You know, she Mm -hmm. just wants to, she wants that to project her. She's been in the limelight all these years. She's had her ego fueled. um, And then she went out with Griffin, who had a bigger ego than her, and all of a sudden she felt um, smaller maybe less worthy or inconsequential in comparison. She took it out on her talk show and now she's taking it out on Jessica because she sees this as a way of almost self-promotion. As I say, a bit like mother-like daughter to some extent. So it's it's really uh, an interesting turn for this character. I mean, for me, I'm wondering how on earth these two characters and maybe even with malcolm thrown into that 
it certainly doesn't feel like it will be a happy ending uh, come the next episode in terms of their personal relationships. Um, because I, the, whether there's any time to resolve any of these conflicts in any meaningful way between them, but yeah. I'm certainly really enjoying Trish's descent into craziness and, and selfishness here. Mm-hmm. I just want to pause this conversation and give a hat tip to Derek. Okay. I have never seen that connective tissue between Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Daredevil, and uh, Iron Fist. The the way you put it around first, followed by John, you you came up with it, you said it, you repeated it and elaborated on it. But this piece about being having forced hero heroism on you first, mm-hmm. like the plane crash, the things like that. None of them had a choice. Yes. And holy God, I've never seen that before. (laughs) Aside from Captain America, who went willingly, I'm pretty sure we can find one or two. There's only one character that chose his destiny and lives with it, I suppose, which is Iron Man. That's why we have the Iron Man moment of Tony Stark standing in front of a room of people and saying, I am Iron Man. Unlike most of the other Marvel characters. Remember, the only thing that Steve Rogers wanted to do was get into the army. And the super soldier serum was his only way of getting into the army. His plan was not to be asleep in ice for 80 years and get resurrected now and join S.H.I.E.L.D. That wasn't that wasn't his plan. So even he, as someone that stood up and said, give me the super soldier serum, didn't get what he wanted. So well, he the, did because he was in the army. I mean, I'm just saying at the point of his creation, he chose to do it. Mm. Whether he regrets it afterwards is another matter. Mm -hmm. At the point where he becomes Captain America, he chose to do it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Tony Stark didn't, but he felt comfortable within and created, you know, he he was forced to create the suit to survive, but then became ultimately comfortable enough to do what he did. I I suppose tragedy is a a, a large part in all of our heroes that we love. Absolutely. So... I think the question will become, will this tragedy that Trish perceives, being the the experiment failure or the the loss of her sister or many, we can pick, will this tragedy turn her to a hero Mm -hmm. or will it turn her to a villain or will it just turn her into, it's Patsy! (laughs) Or will she die? Or will she die, That is the final part of this point, really, is um, the last we see of Trish in this episode is that she effectively leaves the land of the living in front of the eyes of Dorothy. Uh, She says to her she doesn't feel right, and then she stops breathing. But then contorts and... and Convulses, eyes roll. Um, So is this where she gets a big sort of tabby-like mane of ginger hair? Um, A little tail sprouts out of her back? You know, this kind of thing. Or ultimately, do we just hear the long, slow... Beep. I think it's very much that they give her a shock to bring her back to life. Then basically she her hand jumps up and grabs a wrist with cat-like reflexes. <laughs> or she's in the hospital days later, she's alive, getting better. Someone drops a cup and she magically catches it yeah. with cat-like reflexes. Or she starts sort of licking her hand and stroking it through her hair or something like that. <laughs> well, she is still alive at the end of the episode. The, the episode ends with her convulsing and contorting at the end of the episode. That's the last yeah. scene that we see. So, so we know she hasn't flatlined. My question really would be, obviously, she has exactly the same procedure 
carried out on her that Jessica did or a better improved procedure than Jessica did and then Alyssa did. But she's just had exactly the same thing happen to her that Jessica had, that every person that was in IGH, she died and came back to life. So Yeah, it could be that. Was that the intended consequences, I suppose? do Does everybody that gets powers from IGH have to die and come back to life? That's quite an interesting... Maybe, but again, come back to Dr. Carl Malice, who said, I've improved it mm-hmm. only on paper. Yes. So that moment that he is treating Trish... It is theoretical, and he's trying to prove his theories of how he's looked to improve. Plus, you think of the post-treatment care that they had to give both Jessica and in particular with Alyssa. Mm -hmm. Um, At the moment, the doctors in this hospital have no idea what's going on. Uh, Will she get the right aftercare? Exactly. And to Trisha's point, the actual procedure wasn't finished, so... Could anything come out of this? Has Carl Malice just killed her, as you say? Um, has he given her no powers at all? But yeah, really interested to yeah. see. I suspect not, but it'll be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, with that, let us bring us on to our uh, third point, our third case note for this one. Uh, gentlemen, should we talk about the mother that none of us want? We talked about <laughs> you being the, my brothers from another mother, but mm-hmm. if this was our mother, oh boy. We should find this. This is on a warpath. <laughs> oh, yes. Absolutely. She is, oh my goodness, like, the the rage that she has towards Trisha is just, is so, so good. In terms of a woman on the warpath, she heads over to Trish Talk's radio station, um, chucks the producer through the soundproof glass. Yeah. Um, just awful um, trashing of a podcast room, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. Um, <laughs> like, and then... We, we see her come to the hospital to attack Trisha and really, um, you know, she is all out to kill Trish here. Uh, for her as well, it is simply she blames her for Carl Malice as far as I can see. Absolutely. You know, her life has changed beyond what she thought it would do. She always thought Carl was going to be um, by her side. I really like the little flashbacks as well, back to that beach mm-hmm. um, as well, because... It does speak of a more peaceful Alicia, and I think um, that's really nice. It's that idea that she's able to come through it, and of course that is all literally being thrown out the window. I did like the touch on the radio station when she comes in to attack, and the presenter of the show that's there sitting with her face away from Alyssa is blonde-haired and could be around the same build as Trish. Obviously the producer of the radio station has a type, really, when he's hiring his, his talent. So get someone that looks almost the same as Trish to be uh, hosting the show when Alyssa arrives. But I like that she is still driven over the edge. This is exactly the problem that Jessica has with her mother. It's that she goes off in a rage and can't stop herself until it's way too late to do anything. You know, so she didn't check and see if Trish was on the air. She didn't tune into the radio station before running into the into the place and wrecking it. She just goes off half cocked all the time. So, um, so yeah, you can kind of see where where the problem is with Alyssa's powers. Yeah, um, so the radio station, the, the doppelganger, I was just like, oh, really? <laughs> no, that was not the way to do it, but okay, fine. It was, it was a good scene, the guy getting thrown through the window, mm-hmm. the, the the violinist. Like, I would have liked the guy to kind of scream and then throw the violin at her or try and attack her with the violin <laughs> and smash, just, just for the hell and shits and giggles. I did really like the scene in the hospital with Costa. 
and the part where he's basically like Jessica, don't move, don't. It's like he thinks Jessica's almost a part of it. Mm-hmm. Alyssa pulling Sunday out. I, I'm pretty much in the same boat as Costa. He's like, I didn't like her, and we didn't get on. We didn't see. I think he said like, we didn't see eye to eye and everything, yeah. but she was still a good cop. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, that's actually the truth. We didn't like her interactions with Jessica, but she is a good cop, and she like the end where she's like pull the trigger, yeah, take the shot. Yeah, I'm like, okay, so she's willing to sacrifice herself to basically take down this quote unquote monster mm-hmm. who we know can control it, can control it, and we can get to that in a second. Yeah, but I just love that that scene where she was falling out. Did I want Jessica to jump out after her? grab Sunday, mm-hmm. do a barrel roll kind of thing, and like smack her shoulder so that Sunday kind of comes on side. Yes. Was I satisfied with the death and the causation uh, or the, the, the fallout from the death? Mm-hmm. Yes. So again, the writer's proving me I know shit about screenwriting. <laughs> um, but I just thought it was a nice way. Now, I want to chat to you very quickly about Alyssa. I've been playing this off of my head back and forth, back and forth, and I'm trying... Okay, so she is this rage. She's the Hulk, okay? She's the Hulk in Jess's mother's clothing. Rage gets to her. She sees red. She gets even stronger. Well, we don't know that, but she's she basically just... She tunnel visions into a single target. She has uncontrolled and, rage, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and we saw that even... I, I love the, the cinematography where they did that part where... Jessica's standing and she's just looking at the bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jessica's slightly out of focus. Yeah. Yes, that so was really like cool. Tunnel. I was like, that was nice. What I'm not a huge fan of is now, I think they're relying too heavily on it. And I'm like, no, what I really would want to see is the full psychosis snap. So they brought Alyssa back, the, the mother back. They've left Alyssa the demon or the the monster kind of filtering between life and back and death you know what i mean i'm trying to say the death of carmela should have snapped her psychosis Mm -hmm. it should have just completely fractured her it should have made her gonzo wackadoodle where she's on a warpath yes and we got that warpath we do get jessica talking her down exactly that's what I was going to say. Isn't that exactly what they gave us, Chris? They gave us her on the warpath, war unable to be calmed down, and then Jessica steps in and calms her down. So that's kind of supposed to be the arc of the character. That's why we see at the end, we'll talk about it, what happens at the end of the episode. But that's why we get to this point, because without Jessica, she absolutely would have killed Trish in that room. She probably would have killed Costa when he walked into the room as well, and Sunday. But only because Jessica's there is the reason that she's calmed down. And that's what gets her quite excited about having Jessica around forever because she's lost Carl. So she doesn't have that connection anymore with somebody that can calm her down. So what happens next time somebody runs a car over her foot or something or, you know, bumps into her in the street? Will she kill them and just snap their neck? But with Jessica around, she might have an opportunity to be calmed down. So that's kind of where the episode was going, I think. Okay, I hadn't looked at it that way. I was more seeing that they created a villain. Mm hmm. And then immediately put the eraser over it a bit. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, whether she can actually come back from it mm-hmm. now, because at least within the eyes of the 
New York Police Department, given what she's done to to Sunday, um, then who, who knows? And I mean, there is part of me, and it, and it does link right at to the end with regards to that standoff between her and, and Jessica. Is I'm wondering what her view of Jessica is, and mm. I think I can definitely take on board what you're saying, Derek, that she sees Jessica as being the person who can calm her down, take on that Carl Malice role. However, I think Jessica's view of her has changed. And does she know that Alyssa enough that maybe she's looking at Jessica differently? I mean, it's mainly because I want to know um, in the end, once they've come off their road trip, how does Alyssa and Jessica, how do they interact? Because, um, you know, and maybe, you know, it's, it's an interesting one to take us on to case note four with regards to that standoff at Patsy's pad is that, you know, Jessica couldn't bring herself to shooting Alyssa, Mm -hmm. her mother, yet her mother was saying, just do it, you know, because without Carl, without you being able to sort of calm me down, you might as well do that. Yet she immediately jumps at the chance as soon as she sees Jessica lowering that weapon mm-hmm. that she goes for her, knocks her out and kidnaps her. Yeah, That's the thing. I just don't really know um, how that's going to play out. And that I'm really excited for. Uh, I suppose one of my issues here, and I suppose it's a big one for me in relation to this episode, is have they even left enough time to show anything um, that gives that justice. So what I'm really trying to say in some ways is that until I see episode 13 and get to the very end of it, after everything that's gone on in episode 13, I won't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, is there enough time for that to to really be, you know, meaningful? Yeah. Um, certainly with every other loose end to, to tie up here mm-hmm. and, and what's necessarily in my head is going to happen in terms of episode 30. But I, I do like this relationship between uh, Alyssa and and Jessica. Um, and I, I think it can shift very easily, um, ultimately. Mm. So we'll just see. But I do think, ultimately, Alyssa is probably safe from the wrath of Jessica. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, really, at this point, because I get that Jessica couldn't shoot her then and there in the room. And then she knocked her out dragged her out the front door, stuck her in, in the back of the Winnebago and drove her to another city. I don't know whether Jessica is going to still be in the same mindset where she didn't shoot her mother in that moment or whether this is going to really piss Jessica off. Oh, it will piss her off. Because whatever about Alyssa's opinion of, of Jessica being able to be there and talk her down every time she gets angry, I would doubt that Jessica wants to do anything like that with the rest of her life. She doesn't want to be the one that's responsible for oh, sugar, I slept in this morning and didn't get to talk Alyssa down, so now she's gone and killed the neighbour, you know? Um, that, doesn't, that doesn't really sit with what, how Jessica wants to live her life, but she knows if she doesn't do this, her mother needs to go to the raft, effectively. So. I really want to see that the mother-daughter sitcom. <laughs> it's just like, oh no, I, I went and got the milk and it smashed. Oh no, mum's just killed the milkman. <laughs> the bloodiest <laughs> sitcom since MASH. Yeah. <laughs> To take that point on further and to kind of elaborate on my monster psychosis psychic snap, I had I've had this piece in my brain for a while. What if Alyssa basically died 
when she died. Mm-hmm. The mother died. What we have here is the Mr. Hyde to Alyssa being Dr. Jekyll yes. when she was a child okay. or when she was the mother. What we have here now is this manipulative, crazy person who does get angry, mm-hmm. but actually now learning to be happy as angry. Because as John said, she was all too ready to crack Jessica on the yeah. head there. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I even thought with the force she could have killed Jessica. Maybe the power yeah. to save Jessica, but the force of that blow seems I know what quite you mean. strong yeah. from a superpower person. And I'm, I'm, I, this is where I'm starting to go. They have, I'm hoping there's slightly more to this. I'm hoping we just basically don't get a Winnebago standoff like Breaking Bad. Right. <laughs> like, they're in the desert and Jessica has no pants on for some reason and there's a gun and who knows. Kristen Ritter was in Breaking Bad, wasn't she? She was. That's why I was like, yeah, see where I'm going with this? Interesting. I think Jessica will need to convince herself of that point, Chris. If Jessica's going to have to go through with it, she's need to, she's going to need to convince herself that the Alyssa that she knew died in that car accident when they were 15. Um, because if she keeps treating her like, her like her mother, she's going to step away and not be able to kill her because Jessica's not a heartless person, despite the three murders that have already she's already committed. Yeah, that's not like that is her only thing that she does. She's not that character. She is willing to do the things that are necessary to to end a situation and and to protect people. We've seen that with her decision to kill Kilgrave. But I do think that the discussion with Trish was about as far as she could be pushed. My big question that I'm left with at the end of this episode is if Trish does get powers next week. Well, next episode for us, if she comes back from that those convulsions and um, the pain that she's going through with powers, does that mean she's the one that breaks out of the hospital and goes after Alyssa when she finds out that Jessica has been taken by her? Is this the story of Trisha's push to have her first moment as a hero be the time that she kills Jessica's mother? That would be interesting. Um, I didn't think that. I thought, that we, as I said, we're going to get the the reflex piece uh, you know that kind of shot like where Spider-Man picks up things yeah. mid-air, slow down time. And that would be the end of towards the end of the episode. Right. So that they explore in season three. I'm with John here. Mm-hmm. I'm and I, I we've still got another case note to talk about, but I, I kinda wanna bring this up now. I'm concerned. This story just seems so personal. Okay. And I think it lacks some of that cinematic flair almost. That kind of over-the-top comic books, holy shit moment, which we've had in other seasons and in other episodes. Okay. And I think if it's going to come, which is potentially they pulled it off in episode 13, between the two super-powered heroes fight it down in a warehouse where there's no humans around and walls will crumble and it's going to be amazing and... Oh, they may have left it too long because I fear they've lost people. And I, we can talk about this in our next episode when we start doing our yeah. final wrap-ups. I kind of I think, think it's important to hold burner. this off for the 13th episode because it's really difficult. And I agree with both of you. We're all going to say this. I can, I can predict it. We're all going to say exactly the same thing in the defense. Episode 12, it's almost impossible for me to know how I feel about that episode until I watch episode 13. It's almost impossible, unlike any of the episodes I've seen before, because before we always had more than two episodes left of the season. That's longer than a movie left. We've got two full hours to sit down with these characters, and loads of stuff can happen in two hours. 
Now we've only got one left, and they've set up quite a big moment as Jessica leaves New York. They've set up another really big moment as Trish starts to convulse and maybe get her superpowers. We've got Malcolm in the wind. We've got Jerry, which we still have to talk about. But they've got loads of stuff there that they need to get through, and they only have one episode left. So yes, that does give me the same kind of worries as you guys do. But we can't speak to it until we've seen the episodes. No, that that's true. But I, I think directly for this episode, mm-hmm. it's actually about the fact that because it's centered around someone lying in hospital in in the form of Trish, however much I loved her interaction with uh, Jessica, mm-hmm. um, Jessica with Dorothy around this hospital bed, I wish that had come earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... It speaks more to the pacing, and I've enjoyed the pacing of this show, but it feels like they've just suddenly slowed it down and reeled it back in, and it's not where I was thinking it was going to go. Because they've put Trish in a hospital bed, you know, if in the next episode, and this is then where it speaks to possibly the next episode, is like, does she become Hellcat? Is there this notion that she's the one that is ultimately maybe going to be the threat to Alyssa? Then... It, to me, it, it's how that comes about because I can see some real issues in convenience happening. And again, yes, that speaks to it. But I think for this episode, for me, it just felt the pacing wasn't quite right. Um, and it would have been better earlier on in the sequence of, of this series um, to allow time for various things to have happened mm-hmm. um, and so on. I mean, in some ways, I love the interpersonal relationship in this. Absolutely. But um, it's an interesting choice, I suppose, ultimately. And I, I think like you, um, it's how it plays out ultimately in the final episode. Exactly, exactly. Let's talk yeah. about that a bit more as we get into our defense, because we do have probably my favorite moment of the episode, or my favorite storyline of the episode, definitely. Jerry's Revenge. Of the season. Probably, yeah. Actually, yeah, Chris, I think you're probably yeah. right with that. Yeah. These, these moments with Jerry, that is our Jerry Ogarth back to herself. Oh, fuck. Like, I nearly chanted at this point. <laughs> <laughs> She's back. It's so good. It's it's so brutal, so calculated. Absolutely, oh, brilliant! But the way it's set up with Jerry going round to drinking wine and going calling every single pawn shop in the city of New York to find out where her stuff has been pawned, she gets more and more aggressive as she gets to more and more pawn shop owners who don't know anything about this effectively. So they're on the other end of the phone, just getting really vitriolic, shouting <laughs> yeah, down at them, going. You're not even smart enough to own a pawn shop, I think she says to one of them, who doesn't have any of her stuff. <laughs> like, it's really difficult. But I like that when she eventually does get to the correct pawn shop where all the stuff has been pawned, that the person behind the counter is telling her, well, I'm not going to do any of that unless you give me your watch, unless you give up the one real thing. Not money. Money won't do it. I want the one real thing that matters to you, effectively. She has to give up the watch that Wendy, her ex-wife, gave her. This is quite a personal gift that she has. And in order to take down Inez, she now has to give that up, plus a bit of money, to get all of her stuff back and get the information as to where Inez is. But she's still willing to do it. So once again, this shows you Jerry is definitely not one to be trifled with. She will absolutely use everything in her arsenal to get back at you if you do something to hurt her. And I think the great thing about 
all of this in terms of Jerry's revenge is, you know, it's great to see that she's gone to Turk Barrett to mm. get the untraceable gun. And you do think of it as though she has been pushed completely over the edge by what's happened. You know, she's still reeling from the fact that she hasn't been cured. She's still on a long, slow terminal illness. She's had all her stuff taken from her and she was opening up to Inez and and that also um, was a complete calm from from her and uh, Ryback. And I think mm. in that moment where she's with Turk, you are going, she has lost it. She is the one that is going to find them and kill them. Yeah. Uh, that she's going to take the law into um, her own hands. Well, at least I did anyway. And I, I love the fact that that rug was pulled from me and it was like she's back to her calculating best. I mean... I held a torch for Inez and Jerry. Oh, I yes, would have loved did. to have seen. I thought it was so, so cool seeing that different side of Jerry as well. But at the same time, there's nothing like a Jerry scorned. And I really just enjoyed how she manipulates Inez into thinking that Ryback has been conning multiple women. He's kind of almost got apartments in different parts of the city. They're all selling off different bits and bobs uh, to pawn shops and that he is ultimately going to drop her and leave her to go to another woman to get more money to build up his wealth that he uses all these women and even just that suggestive nod to the files on the back seat of her car mm -hmm. and Inez doesn't ask to look at them and, and yeah it was just so so good the manipulation coming from Jerry fantastic yeah really really good that's you're right it is so interesting that Inez believes every word that comes out of her mouth because look she's a con artist so she may be expecting to get conned sometime down the road which is what jerry preys on and that is again that is totally what jerry does well she finds people's weaknesses and can poke at them like she would in court i presume that's the reason why she's such a good lawyer because she's able to find the real insight into what is going on in the situation and that's what she does here with inez it's pretty brutal so inez is now another former partner of Jerry's that is ending off in prison. Yeah, and the most telling part of this story that shows we have the calculating, manipulative Jerry back and the non-caring mm -hmm. Jerry back is before the gunshot, she starts yawning. She's bored yeah. waiting there while this fight continues between Inez and Sean Ryback. She's sitting there bored just to say, come on. Yeah. I never thought the director or the screenwriters would go as far to show her looking at a watch or pretending to look where her watch had been mm -hmm. to kind of go, is it over yet? That actually might have actually been powerful if you had made a look to a watch that wasn't there. Maybe. And then she said a, a, a nice smile, then she yawns. This really showed me our Jerry's back. Mm -hmm. Like, this, this, this scared me. Not scared me. This... This almost upset me, and I think that's probably why, like, we had talked about this was the redemption of Jerry Hogarth when we started talking about her potentially being healed. Yeah. And, oh, no, she's still sick as a dog, and <laughs> yep. now she's as angry as a rabbit dog. Yes, yeah. Like, and don't forget, the storyline is still not wrapped up about her and her, her partners in the law firm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I'm very much waiting to see now that she's back, 
and now she's willing to do anything. She has nothing left to lose. Mm-hmm. I think it wasn't there a film called like Falling Down or something with Michael Douglas. Yeah, yeah, very much. When you have nothing to lose, you will do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. and I think this is where Jerry is now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of scared for Chow and Benowitz now, especially Chow. Um, I think there's some serious things going to happen uh, in the one final episode that we have, and I'm really excited to see them. Definitely. Um, can I also just say, just I know we did mention Turk Bark, but can I also say this is probably the best I've seen him used in the shows so far. He's smart. He's calculating. Yeah, he's being relied upon by a very powerful woman in New York. I'm a very rich woman. And his response to her is, well, I don't want to get paid. I want to use your talents for free because I'm going to get into trouble again. So <laughs> that is the smartest Turk Barrett we've seen so far. Definitely. Right? Really, really good use of him. We're all very happy when we see this character back uh-huh. and this actor back. And yeah, I can't echo enough. I was expecting very much a a, a joke about like taking the cash and buying a, another set of weapons cash uh, since th- someone has kind of made him dry up or someone stole all his last ones mm-hmm. or call back to Punisher or call back to, to... No, they use this to show that as much as some of the other shows have u- used this character as a joke as the end the, the butt end of a, a, a piece uh, of the storyline it's just like oh we need some guns or we, we need some connections you know what let's go beat up turk mm-hmm. no turk has actually he has a bit of an empire he's he knows jerry and now jerry owes him a favor yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. what i'm more happy about now is in iron fist season two where we have a jerry in there we're gonna get like Turk calling in that favor. Maybe. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think. That's what I'm more excited about. Yeah. What trouble is Turk gonna get in that he's gonna have to call in the Jerry? Yeah. Good and smuggling. from now on I'm calling her the Jerry. <laughs> I do really like these moments with Turk that we've had in the past. Obviously this season and unless it comes up in the next episode, we do not have Night Nurse in the show. We don't have Claire Temple. Um, Turk has also been in almost every single one of the Netflix shows so far. He gets a scene uh, very early on in Daredevil, I think he was in the first scene of Daredevil season one, being attacked by Daredevil. So he has a long legacy with these shows. So great to have him shown in this episode. And as you say, Chris, great to have him back as a smart character, not just here's a bit of comedy that we need in the episode, right? Let's call up Turk Barrett. Um, no, it, it, he seems smart. He seems right to be in the show the way it is at the moment. So quite cool to see him in there. Uh, any th- other notes, gentlemen, about the episode? Just two very quick ones for me. One, they keep mentioning the raft. If they mention it one more time, I want a shot from Civil War. Just literally that same shot of the raft. Mm-hmm. I don't care that they reuse it. I just want to see it again. Because, come on, it's just another tie back to the larger universe. And you're not going to show it to me. Just show it to me. It's a building. It's not. You don't have to pay for Chris Evans likeness. Just show <laughs> me the building. Well, we've only got one episode left. And there's only really three options at the end of the next episode for Alyssa. Isn't there? She's either dead, goes to the raft, or something happens to cure her of her violent tendencies. Um, yeah. The second bit that I, I want to call out is... The idea of the shady doctor preying on people who want powers mm-hmm. got called out in this. And it got it was got a prominent call out. Yes, it did, yeah. This was a I feel was a nice callback to the alias comic that dealt with uh, these low life doctors who were using the mutant growth hormone. Mm-hmm. So a callback to IGH where we were like in human growth hormone maybe, etc. etc. Yeah. Uh, they were selling these mutant growth hormones on the street. 
and that this is about giving people extra power, giving them powers, giving them mutant powers, etc. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a nice callback. We had this long discussion about IGH and MGH um, back in season one. Yeah. Um, so I just thought, hey, let's connect the dots at the end of season two. Absolutely. No, that, that is very interesting. I do also wonder, because of the way it was described by the reporter, I, I do also wonder, is this something that could come back in future episodes or future series of, of The Defenders, maybe, or Daredevil, or any of the shows? Are there people out there that are chasing to try and become superheroes? Is there is there other nefarious um, people out there? Is this something that we talked about before that they could save for Jessica Jones season three, that there's other people out there taking advantage of people that are interested in becoming superheroes? But yeah, it's really interesting that they called it out there. I do, I do wonder, is it, is it not just a drop line? Is it seeding an idea that could be used in the future? But yeah, good catch. And with that catch, I think it's time we wrap up this episode, this 150th time where I'm going to ask you guys or you're going to ask me or we'll ask each other, do we defend an episode so on that note john do you defend this episode of jessica jones aka pray for my patsy i do defend this episode of jessica jones um but kind of only just really i would give this three fluttery trish heartbeats uh, out of five you know it's not quite a flat line but i didn't really get into this episode too much i love the personal relationships between all the characters absolutely and in particular for me um jerry was a huge standout here and in some ways that's an absolute stroke of brilliance it's also a little bit of a curse and at this moment i think for the penultimate episode it should be jessica and Alyssa. and and i felt that it spent too long around Trish's bed, even though I loved the discussions between Trish and Jessica about their powers, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. And as I say, I love these interpersonal relationships, but it didn't feel that it was coming at the right time. It should have, for me, have been earlier. And so, again, it might be something that I'll adjust or would at least be open to adjusting depending on how episode 13 goes but actually i'm just not too sure in my own mind at the moment and it is pure speculation whether they have enough time to wrap things up between all these carefully crafted interpersonal relationships and i think that's it is that this has really been an intimate season and i've absolutely loved that for that reason and so in which case even if it's that they don't kiss and make up let them have those moments uh, through, throughout uh, t- the, the last episode. You know, are we really going to go back to Chow and Benowitz in the, the last episode? I think it'd be a mistake to. I think, um, but I think that the storyline does need to be. It needs to be wrapped up, absolutely, but it shouldn't be being wrapped up in the last episode. What's going to happen to Malcolm? Is Trish, you know, how is she going to get potentially to a confrontational point with Alyssa and Jessica as possibly Hellcat. And again, I think that's it. It's really dependent on episode 13. So I do defend this because I still love the interpersonal relationships, but I think there's been a pacing issue here. And in my mind watching this, I kept thinking, I wish this had been back in episode seven. So I do defend it because I love these characters and I love them uh, mixing it up with one another. 
but I do have some severe reservations on this episode. With that, Chris, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? Uh, I do. I do, but John, I'm very much like you. I'm worried about the time left. I talked about it in my defense before. I have fears of about a pacing issue on this season. I also feel they've overutilized Alyssa as the big bad. In nearly every season of every other Marvel Netflix show, we've had a two-tiered villain, a two-act villain. And I feel very much that we've had the same villain for the same amount of time, that there's nothing really more that I can get out of it without a big twist. Like I talked about this Mr. Hyde version reveal where actually she never was Alyssa. She didn't believe she's Alyssa or I don't know that she, she doesn't really care about Jessica. I do defend this, as I said, as you said as well about these kind of interpersonal plays, these story beats where we do have like the heart wrenching moments with Jerry, um, where she doesn't become the Jerry we wished, but also that, high of where she becomes the Jerry that we've all known. Uh, the the part where Trish is talking to Jessica and giving out Jessica and the, 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 the fracture of sisters. But then it's also brought down by that, those pieces where we see the potential arc of Dorothy but or the, the rise of Dorothy and the, the, the evolution of Dorothy, but it's brought back to the same Dorothy for writing purposes for story purposes so i'm with you give me this episode in episode seven or eight i'm fine because then i know you can do everything i know you can make five more episodes and i know you're going to be able to tie off all the loose ends and also be able at the same time to give me a satisfactory ending in each of those pieces we have less than 55 minutes left, gentlemen. Will it be worth it in the end? If the answer is yes, then I'm happy. If the answer is no, I'm still happy, but I'm also slightly disappointed. So, Derek, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? This is genuinely the toughest one that we've all had, really, I think, yeah. uh, since the show began. And Honestly, absolutely genuinely, I know I am quite light sometimes when it comes to ratings for episodes. Um, But genuinely, there's zero wrong with this episode. Everybody's good in it. Everybody has great moments. There's great character development that's going on between some of the characters in here. Jerry's storyline is fantastic. Loved that that would be standout in any other episode. But it's so hard to judge it in isolation and say whether the episode was good or not. Because all that's in the back of my mind is... We've got one more hour of Jessica Jones and then maybe no more hours for two more years. Is this the story they wanted to tell? Did they want to be at this point in episode 12? Usually when a showrunner creates a show, they put a sketch outline of where the character's going to go, the arc the character's going to go across the entire season. And it feels like because of where we are with Jessica being kidnapped by Alyssa in this episode and being taken away from New York, that feels like that was possibly a move that was going to happen before Jessica knew it was her mother. It was going to be something that happened in episode six or something like that, that Jessica gets kidnapped and goes out of of New York and has to find her way back to her friends and family. Well, that can't be the arc for the final episode. So did they put too much other stuff in, which I've really enjoyed. I've not called anything the series filler at all. There was nothing that felt like filler in these episodes, but did the writers put in stuff that didn't need to be told to get you to this point in the story? And they've now lost 
the time to develop and finish off this, the character arcs in episode 13? I don't know until I see episode 13. So really hard to judge whether episode 12 is a great episode or an okay episode without seeing how they finished off the series. So it doesn't feel like that that I've said that about any of the other shows in the past. I don't think I have, that we've gotten to the penultimate episode and I'm not sure whether I like the episode or not because of what's going to happen in episode 13, but it just feels different. This one felt like, why are we at this point now? Exactly as you guys have said. So I do defend the episode because there's nothing wrong with the individual episode. No, absolutely. I just am at a pause at the moment going, when we see the next episode, right, okay, I'll have a feeling of they accomplish their goal with the show. Because that's the whole point of the job is to make sure that you accomplish the series that you want to deliver out to people. So I'm really looking forward to seeing episode 13 because I still want another hour with Jessica Jones. Hell, if another season was coming in three months' time, I'd be perfectly happy to sit down with Jessica Jones for a season three in a couple of months again, you know. But yeah, it, this this is a difficult one. But looking forward to seeing episode 13. I think we can all echo those statements. Bring on the next hour and the final hour of this season. But we know, well, we don't know. They haven't said season three is coming, but mm. come on, guys. We, we, I think I, I think we've got a bit of a shoe in here, but let's discuss that in our next episode. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been Defenders TV Podcast, episode 150. Thank you so much for joining us for the previous 149. And you know what? Here's to another 150 more. There you go. There you go. Lots more to talk about. Yes, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back with our next episode, which is our next part of the Doctor Strange Damnation crossover. Back to comic books, John. Looking forward to that. Yes. Can't wait to see what Donny Cates has in store for us for the Doctor Strange issue 388, part 11 of our Damnation crossover event with Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast sons of the dragons an immortal iron fist podcast and inner demons a ghost rider podcast if it's an immortal iron fist podcast does that mean it goes on forever or does it mean it's no they cannot die okay okay good they are infused with chi no pod fade over there i like this exactly yes but of course fellow defenders uh we want your feedback for the final episode so please send in uh, through through the website through email through voicemail or just through facebook or twitter all your thoughts on episode 13 and the season as a whole we want to discuss tell us what your thoughts were did you like it did you love it did you hate it we want to know and yes we'll be back tuesday for jessica jones season two episode 13 the final episode of this season aka playland really looking forward to that one thanks so much for joining us as always fellow defenders thank you so much for listening of course remember as well we are all friends of dorothy that's dorothy walker (laughs) Uh, we'll speak with you again next time bye